Harry Potter can eat a dick. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. Maybe I'm not me, but who knows if there's a better me than me, but I'm Josh Hadley. With me is Cecil, but he maybe is him? Uh, I am me. And Peter is definitely Peter, though. If I'm not me, who the hell am I? Ah, I should have went with that. (laughs) And Frederick Fritz is sitting in for tonight's episode because we're going to look at when different actors play the same character. We're going to see who wore it better. (laughs) But before that, we're going to we're going to ask you guys to go to AdamandEve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping using the promo code DROME at AdamandEve.com. When you think of a character, usually there's a specific actor that lands in your brain. You know, you have a certain image in your head. What's a character where you definitely prefer one portrayal over a different, over a different one? Where you have a specific actor you like, even though that character has had numerous actors play them? Well, no, I'm a James Bond fan, so there'd be that. But one I'd like to probably go to is Philip Marlowe. Uh, I'm a huge, ridiculous fan of detective stories. Been reading them since I was a kid, watching them on TV, movies. Philip Marlowe is kind of my jam when it comes to detectives. If I have a favorite detective, it will always probably be Marlowe. And he has been played by, oh my gosh, a, a very large group of people from Elliot Gould. Humphrey Bogart, of course, is probably always going to be the most famous for uh, The Big Sleep. But my personal favorite Philip Marlowe is Powers Booth. The show that was on HBO back in the day was, I think, just like pitch perfect. It, It really nailed the books, but most importantly... It nailed that character. And while Bogey's performance is wonderful in The Big Sleep, and it's a great movie and I adore it to no end, I also have another one, uh, Murder My Sweet, which was with Dick Powell, who was actually a song and dance man. And this was his turn into becoming a tough guy. But the original story is called Farewell My Lovely, and they changed the name of it to Murder My Sweet because they were afraid people would think it was a musical because of Dick Powell. So another great performance, but Powers knocks it out of the park. It's Philip Powers Booth is Philip Marlowe in the eighties. Did you ever see the time that Danny Glover played him on the Fallen Angels TV show? Now that's a different portrayal. Yeah, well, he's been portrayed just about every way you can. I didn't see it, but if you've seen Elliot Gould in The Long Goodbye, that is about as different as Marlowe has ever been outside of what you're saying. I don't know. I didn't know if he played him tough. Elliot Gould kind of played him mumbling and slightly weak till the very end of the story. So there's been different portrayals. James Garner was Marlowe in a per- uh, in Marlowe. That was the name of the movie. Quite a few performances. And it's very different than a lot of people get Philip Marlowe and Hammer, Mike Hammer mixed up. And Mike Hammer's also been betrayed by a few people. But I know you and I were talking once about Stacey Keach playing Mike Hammer. And here's the funny thing. He's really not Mike Hammer. He's Philip Marlowe. If you know the books, that's Philip Marlowe in those that TV show. That's not Mike Hammer. <laughs> Hammer was a bastard. 
in the books. Like he was, I don't want to say evil, but he thought of himself as evil, sort of walking the line. When he shot somebody, he enjoyed it. Marlo was more of the white knight. And I think what you saw in that old Stacey Keats show was much more Marlo than Hammer. Well, growing up as a kid, being into comics, I got to go with Batman, watching the Adam West show reruns, the um, Kevin Conroy cartoon, the Tim Burton movies, the Joel Schumacher movies, then, you know, up until the Christian Bale stuff, and now recently with Ben Affleck. And out of all of those, I got to say my Batman is still Michael Keaton. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about those first two Burton movies, but I always find myself going back and watching them and just being enthralled by how Keaton absolutely loses himself in that character. Like he really, to me at least, is is two completely different people. When he's, you know, when he's Bruce Wayne, he's kind of this weird, eccentric, uh, kind of oddball, really interesting take on Bruce Wayne. Not one that's ever really been played before. And then when he's Batman, he's a total, and I hate using this term, but he's a total alpha. He becomes this intimidating motherfucker. When he looks at you, you know, he doesn't snarl. He doesn't growl. He's almost got this like half cocked smile. Like he knows he's going to kick your fucking ass. Like, and I really love that portrayal of Batman because it goes from two completely separate entities. Like you would never buy that Bruce Wayne as that Batman. It, it totally works as the, as like a secret identity kind of thing. So I've, I've always been a Michael Keaton guy when it comes to Batman. See, for me, Batman is, is kind of weird. I separate Batman and Bruce Wayne. I think that Val Kilmer was the best Bruce Wayne, but I agree that Michael Keaton was the best Batman, if that separation makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think Val Kilmer played uh the smooth, actual, like, billionaire playboy kind of Bruce Wayne perfectly, especially, you know, early 90s, uh, mid, mid-90s Val Kilmer when he still had his looks and his very suave demeanor. His Batman wasn't bad either. I, I, I actually feel like that's a really underrated, not only film, but portrayal of Batman. I've, I've never minded, uh, Batman Forever too much. I was obsessed with it when I was a kid. His performance is, uh, at least Kilmer's as Batman is actually pretty close to Keaton's. You could tell he was, I think, trying to keep that, um, performance going and then as bruce wayne he was more like comic book bruce wayne like he was the he was more like comic book bruce wayne where he was more kind of suave and you, you pictured him more as the romantic lead type and that's that's why i prefer keaton's bruce wayne because it was different it wasn't your typical handsome hunk that walks into the room and immediately you know all the babes want to do him or whatever it was a different it was a weird bruce wayne it was more of more of a quirky eccentric kind of bruce wayne which is why his batman stands out to me so so much because it shows the caliber of an actor that Michael Keaton is. He can play these two completely opposite people when he's in the suit and when he's out of the suit. And I just think that's brilliant. I, uh, I really, really, uh, I like, I think that, uh, I'm, I'm torn because like, I loved the, uh, Michael Keaton Batman. I do agree. He just had a certain suaveness about him when he was playing Bruce Wayne. And then there was just, just so, he just transformed into a new character when he became Batman. And that's really what I think a lot of, uh, that should be. Like, that's another reason why, you know, on top of it being a pile of crap, I didn't like Batman and Robin because Clooney, like, he played Bruce and Batman pretty much the same way. There was oh no, my God, real, he did. like, there was no difference between 
characters. He didn't he didn't become anybody different. He just was now wearing an outfit. Clooney also played it kind of as a joke. He he played Batman yeah, knowing knowing what he was. Mm-hmm. It was almost the same as um the Adam West one, but I mean in the sixties that was kind of forgivable. It was sort of meant to be lighthearted and campy, and Adam West had a certain charm to it. Whereas Clooney was kind of doing the same thing, but it just felt like he didn't care. Well, what the funny thing with that was, was that in the 80s, uh, like towards the end of the 80s, when the Tim Burton Batman was coming out, you had Adam West going to Comic Cons and whatnot with the old Batmobile. And they actually put a cease and desist on him that he was no longer allowed to go to the conventions and whatnot as Batman because they wanted people to forget the silly old campy version of Batman because now they were doing the more serious Dark Knight. I remember that, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then the thing was, what, and then a few years later, what happens? They made it worse. Than the old campy Adam West Batmans. Because yeah. it was like, you had this massive, I mean, the only thing that was missing was the biff, bam, every time somebody oh, got punched. So there was that. I think Christian Bale played an excellent Bruce Wayne, but I don't think that he did Batman quite as well. Like, he still did Batman very well. But I mean, it didn't, there wasn't quite the exchange like it was with, uh, with Michael Keaton. Uh, I'm going to go on a, with a weird one here because, you know, me. I'm going to go with a character that was played by two actors in the same thing. But it was uh, I'm going to go with Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno in The Incredible Hulk. And Ooh. even though he was playing Dr. David Banner, not Bruce, because one of the producers thought that Bruce was a sissy name. Uh, so they <laughs> changed it to David. I still think that the duality of the two of them was was really great. I mean, Bill Bixby was he played it really smart. And you got you know, you got to love sympathetic the, you know, as hell. Oh yeah, and the don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Like he's like he's the best actor who's played the Hulk that has ever delivered that line. I mean, it's been done new and it's just like it's been done by bigger and better actors, quote unquote. But like they haven't quite had that. That was where it's like, "Oh, you know bad things are coming." And then Lou <laughs> Ferrigno being just this I mean, I I've met Lou Ferrigno in person and the dude's enormous. So, so, you know, him in the, in the show, you know, with the, with the, with the makeup and everything and the bad wig, but it's still like, he still was like throwing cars and doing all that stuff. And it was just more believable because it was an actual person. And while yeah. I've enjoyed, you know, Hulk and the Incredible Hulk and then, you know, him in the Avengers with uh, Mark Ruffalo, like I've enjoyed them, but I felt like it was better and it was more grounded with the old TV series. And also you had more time because it ran for so long. You had more time to get to know the character. If you ever hear that music come up you start to t- tear up a little don't you you know oh, what music God. i'm talking about oh the, the yeah him walking down the highway oh. and dun, 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 dun. uh so good <laughs> really really good stuff so yeah I i'm think surprised that... they haven't done a throwback to that in any of the new like marvel movies that'd be great seeing like mark Ru- mark ruffalo on some lonely road with a variation of that music playing well i want to bring up a, a... There's there's two characters here. I want to talk about two Elmore Leonard characters. I want to talk about Raylan Givens and Karen Sisko. For Raylan Givens, you know, everybody knows Timothy Oliphant did it on Justified, and he did a fantastic job. Do many of you listeners out there remember that James LeGros also played Raylan Givens first in the 1997 TV movie Pronto? And man, are these two totally different performances. One of my favorite shows of all time, without question. Character actor heaven, man. Everybody's on that show. Michael Ironside popped up. Uh, Eric Roberts. 
Uh, yeah, I was home. really disappointed his character didn't come back because he played a, a nuanced, he was a corrupt cop, but he wasn't evil and he was doing it for the right reasons. And I'm like, I liked how Eric Roberts played his somewhat corrupt cop in that show. I mm. agree. I love that show. It's, it's seriously, I, I, I said this to you, but it, I think if I had to take a serious assessment of all shows, it may literally end up as my number one favorite show of all time. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever seen Pronto. Do you think that James Legro, who I think is a fine actor, I've seen him in American uh, or Sleeper Cell, you know, Phantasm 2 and all that. Mm-hmm. He gave a very much more low key because the thing Timothy Oliphant brought to the Raylan Givens character was always this underscore of bubbling anger. He was a powder keg waiting for the right thing to set him off. Legro in Pronto kind of plays him fun. That's not... I don't know. That didn't work for me. I don't know. To me, Raylan Givens will always be Timothy Oliphant. Did see Pronto, but you know what? I'd be lying if I said I remembered it. Barely do. Uh, but I I think I'm going to just say I agree from what I recall. Pronto's weird in one aspect. I never saw it when it aired in 1997. I saw it on VHS. And it was an NBC TV movie. My VHS has nudity in it. So I'm like, wait a minute. Was this shot for the VHS release, or did the NBC version just cut out the boobs? No, this was a popular tactic actually used back then. It started, actually, I believe in the late 80s when, you know, the the blockbuster boom was really hitting, and the mom and pops were everywhere, and they would shoot these movies with nudity specifically so they could give them an R rating on VHS because there was, oh gosh, I read this thing. There was this thing when people saw there was no rating on a movie, they tended to avoid it. But if it had a rating, pick it up. Oh, this is a real movie. I just never heard of it. So they would intentionally add the boobs to give it the rating. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, that's what the vi- that's what it. videos were like back then, kids. Yeah, yeah. That was the video market. But then you also have Karen Sisko. Now the role on screen was originated by Jennifer Lopez in Out of Sight, but I think totally stolen from Jennifer Lopez by Carla Gugino in the TV series, and then later when she appeared on Justified as Karen Sisko. I don't think Jennifer Lopez did a bad job in Out of Sight, and I've read the book. She's relatively close. But my God, did Carla Gugino nail that. She just dwarfed Jennifer Lopez's performance. So to me, I got to go, Karen Siska will always be Carla Gugino to me. Completely agree. You know, J-Lo's performance is fine. It's more of a sexy version of the character, whereas I think Carla is obviously gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. It, it's, her performance is tough. You believe she could knock the hell out of somebody. Okay. Now, now we're going to go a little bit more mainstream here. Now, this is a, this is a actor debate that has divided the horror film community for almost three decades now. Hannibal Lecter, Brian Cox, or Anthony Hopkins? Brian Cox. Absolutely. To me, to me, there's no <laughs> doubt, but there's a lot of people I've talked to who don't like his performance. Oh, so, okay. Subhumans. Film. Okay. Okay. Scum. It's subdued. It's subtle. You believe that he's this like super genius, but he has this tinge of insanity in his eyes. Like it, it, it feels like this, it's bottled and it's waiting to come out. He's constantly trying to come off like he's refined and intelligent, but he's got 
it's the crazy eyes and, and Hannibal and, um, Anthony Hopkins does it too, but he really plays up the, and, and I don't want to call it camp because it's Sir Anthony Hopkins, but his take as Hannibal Lecter is pretty fucking campy. The voice that he does, the little, he, he, his take is more comic book villain. It's very comic booky. Um, and I love it. I love Silence of the Lambs. It's one of my all time favorite crime thriller horror movies, but Brian Cox and Manhunter, oh my God, he's terrifying. He's only got a few scenes in that film, but they're key scenes. They tie the movie together perfectly. You can see the the fear in um in people's eyes when they interact with him. You can see the insanity in his eyes, but he's got this really subdued approach and subdued voice to it. And he comes across as a guy that could absolutely manipulate manipulate you uh emotionally and mentally and you you wouldn't see it coming you you would really have to pay attention to certain clues and he plays that to a t it feels more like a like a genuine maniac like a genuine psychopath whereas um anthony hopkins is it really is very comic booky. It is. It's. He's. Yeah. He's doing the voice. The Clarice. The. Oh. The. They're Boeing Clarice. The. It's, it's very comic booky. Very campy. He's, he's doing the voice and everything. Whereas Brian Cox, believable. You believe it, and that's what makes him absolutely frightening as Hannibal Lecter. And and then of course you got Mads Mikkelsen on TV, who he played him to me too obvious. I mean, I know we knew he was the bad guy, but you go, how does nobody see this is a serial killer? He yeah. played him so obvious, there was no subtlety whatsoever to the TV version. Oh, it's so tough. Um, because, I mean, they both do the same character, but they both do their, their own spin on it. It's not, uh, like there's some characters in the past where you'll see one actor and then they're both kind of doing the same thing just with minor differences. But, uh, like Peter said, Brian Cox is doing it so subtle and Anthony Hopkins is, he really is doing a, a great job. It is, uh, it's, it's like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's like cartoonishly evil. Like, I mean, if he, he's almost like has a mustache, wah, you know, but it's, but, it, but he does it so well that it you, works. You could almost see him ruling Latveria. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, <laughs> he'd be putting, uh, yeah, he'd be putting girls on, uh, on train tracks. You know, it's just, he's so now granted he only delivers that performance in Silence of the Lambs. In the later appearances, he just go, they put, make him go complete cartoonish and it's yeah. not his fault. It's the, it's the crap directing from, and, and I'm not saying that the directors were bad, but it's just they weren't up to the level that, uh, it was in, in Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that the, there was also the studio wanted to kind of make him more, uh, cartoonish. And that's why, like, when they went and they remade Red Dragon, Instead of, uh, Manhunter, it's like Red Dragon, like if I'm gonna, com if I'm gonna compare, compare, uh, Hannibal Lecter's in Red Dragon versus Manhunter, Brian Cox absolutely wins. But mm. in Manhunter versus Sounds of the Lambs, it's just Hannibal Lecter, uh, it's so tough. Uh, it's I mean, a tough I, one, yeah. I would, I would definitely, I think, I think I'm gonna have to go again with Brian Cox though, because his performance really is fantastic. It's um, scary. It's actually scary. It's all, he plays that entirely in the eyes. 
It's and he's totally... so charismatic. Like when he's on the phone trying to get Will Graham's address. Yeah. And he's, ta- and he's talking to that operator. He's so intensely charismatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really is giving a fantastic performance and it is really tough. I mean, but I think that it's a shame that there are people that just automatically, what's well, up? Uh, Anthony, it's Anthony Hopkins is, of course he's better. Have you, have you seen Manhunter? Have you ever <laughs> like watched this movie and see how del- an amazing performance? It's just that it's two actors giving Giving two incredible performances it's just it's really it is really hard to decide but i think i would have to go with brian cox but not saying that anthony hopkins does not deliver a fantastic performance he does it's just it's a different performance and it's just not as good it's it's good in a different way or should i say it's great in a different way i think we'll just go for the trifecta it's it's brian cox of course i'll give anthony one thing i'll give anthony one thing and that is to imagine Brian and Anthony out in the real world being a psychoanalyst, I could see Anthony Hopkins fooling someone. I could see Anthony Hopkins portrayal as the very charming man, uh, someone you'd be drawn into, because that's why kind of America fell in love with him in Silence of the Lambs. He felt like your grandfather who liked to tell dirty jokes. And Brian Cox, as it's already been stated, is ice cold he is the uh absence of good there's just you can see there's nothing in him. when he even says that casual line about you know we should stay in contact uh, what's your number you know it brian have you ever seen blood you the, in the moonlight will yeah, that's quite black. He's he's creepy and he gives you the chills. Those scenes are all memorable for different reasons than they were memorable in Silence of the Lambs. But, you know, Anthony, like I said, I could see Anthony as someone you'd believe if if he was in the office and he'd be very charming. And Brian is, I think, just the epitome of evil. And I think he would even give you a chill if you met him outside yeah, the, the cell, too. Yeah, he just he has that look. He has that tone that intonation and you know he'd be that guy say oh he's very smart but there's something off about him well let's stick with the thomas harris hannibal lecter characters you've also then got will graham i think william peterson plays him perfectly I, I yeah i'll say it edward norton was terrible in that role william peterson and i've read the novel red dragon william peterson plays will graham as a broken man is not sure he can trust his own brain anymore. Edward Norton plays him as an FBI agent that's that's just tired. I tired mean, I, I don't smug. know. I don't know why Edward Norton. I mean, William Peterson. You can see how broke this man is on the inside. Edward Norton. You don't get any of that. I agree. While I usually like Edward Norton, I felt like this was one of, if not his weakest performance. It just didn't fit. Um, I never got that sense that Will Graham was this uh, broken guy, afraid of his own mind. You know, there's all the, there's all these scenes during the whole Red Dragon story, during, during Manhunter where he's on the case and he's talking to himself and he's recording everything and you can, you get that hint that he, he is, he has gone crazy and that he's finding it hard to handle and it's why he's trying to distance himself himself from it whereas um edward norton's contrast you know com- comparatively to william peterson's who played it very broken down very morose um very self-loathing almost ptsd yeah it was very shell-shocked and he did it just amazingly and i, I just love william peterson as a as an actor in general i think he's very very underrated at least as uh as a movie actor because i think a lot of a lot more people know him from what is it csi miami CSI. No, he, he was the original CSI. Yeah. Yeah. I think more people know him from that, but he was great. And Edward Norton, though, normally 
awesome. Like Edward Norton's one of my favorite uh, actors of all time, but he, I found him really disappointing in, uh, in Red Dragon and his, his hair looked fake as shit. Like it was very, like Will Graham is meant to be a blonde guy and William Peterson's blonde. He's a blonde, curly haired dude and it looked natural. And, uh, fucking Edward Norton looked like, like Milo Yiannopoulos or some shit. It was weird. Just very bleach blonde. It didn't fit. And just his whole smugness. Like why, why is he smug? Why is he calling the killer a hair lip mama's boy? Like what the fuck is this? I can't go with, uh, with Edward Norton. Edward Norton just did not, uh, he, he, he it's, I like him a lot. I think that he is a really good actor, but, uh, for whatever reason, like, I don't know, that whole movie just, just was cursed. It just, it, yeah, it, it was work. Brett Ratner. What do you want? Oh, was Ratner directed? <laughs> Ratner no. directed that man. He's, Ratner is like, I don't have a huge issue with Ratner. I think he's right in the right thing. He's doing like a dumb action movie. He's a movie bland or, director. Well, I'm saying if he's doing like a dumb action movie or something, then it's fine. But if you're doing a movie that's going to have this kind of weight behind it, and it's, it, he's just not the right guy for the, for the job. Uh, mm. you know, how are you going to compete with like Michael Mann, you know? So, uh, yeah, totally William Peterson. I actually knew him. I had seen him in Manhunter. But, uh, had forgotten about him. And then I remembered him more from fear. He played, yeah. um, he played Reese Witherspoon's dad. Let's and not then, forget to live and die in LA. To live and die in LA. Correct. That's what I was going to bring up next. <laughs> and, uh, but, but yeah, so I knew him more from fear. And then going back years later and watching Manhunter again, I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> like it's the dad from fear, but he's younger. <laughs> yeah. And then late, and then, uh, when I started watching like CSI reruns, I'm like, Oh. Cause I mean, God, I, I think I started watching and I didn't really watch it all that much. I kind of like was watching it all while I was on like an exercise bike or something just to have something to watch. And uh, I started watching like CSI New York and then I went, was watching the original and I'm like, Oh my God. Well, I'm glad to see he's still, you know, gainfully employed because uh, I like the guy. Do you know in a weird, in a strange way, Manhunter is directly responsible for CSI? I believe it. The creator of CSI, whose name fell out of my head, he loved that forensic sequence where they're trying to figure out the piece of toilet paper with the note on it from Hannibal Lecter's cell in Manhunter, and they go through all these different forensic techniques. That just fascinated him, and he loved William Peterson in that so much that when he finally got CSI off the ground, he said, there is no one else for Grissom. Grissom is William Peterson, and I'm Damn. not doing the show if, if William Peterson doesn't take the role. I didn't know wow. that. So Manhunter directly, Manhunter is directly responsible for CSI happening. I'll wrap it up real quick. It's William Peterson. There's no question. Go watch To Live and Die in LA if you've never seen it. And that, to me, that's the period at the, no, that's the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. There's no contest here. I'll also add, not to just throw all my love to Manhunter, Ralph Fiennes is horrible as Francis Dollarhide. Yes. Tom Noonan is dead on. I didn't buy Ralph Fiennes for a second in the Brett Ratner. Well, version. you didn't get any sympathy for him. No. That, that was, that was crucial to that character. You had to both hate him and like kind of pull for him a little bit. If you lose that, it's just another bland serial killer. And that's mm. what he wasn't. In fact, I think he's more interesting than Buffalo Bill personally as a character. And that's where Fiennes eh, didn't quite do it, but I won't blame him. I'm, I'm putting it on, uh, Ratner just for that movie though. Okay, well now I'm gonna throw out a weird one here, and this one is only a technicality, but still. Who played John McClane better? Frank Sinatra or Bruce Willis? I've never seen the Frank Sinatra version. I mean I've I've heard of the film 
And it's, I know that the, the, the detective from 1960, and technically, yeah, that's, this is well, this is why it's a technicality. He wasn't John McClane in that. They're both the same character from the novels, but yeah. they changed the name to John McClane for Die Hard. But in reality, they're Sinatra, the same character. Like, like Die Hard was meant to be a sequel to something to a Frank Sinatra movie, and it was going to be him in the movie, right? The the book Nothing Lasts Forever is a sequel to the book The Detective. Yeah. So they are the same character when you really break it down. I just think it's funny that Bruce Willis and Frank Sinatra technically played the same guy. Same. I've never seen, uh, I, God, I've only seen maybe like two things with Frank Sinatra in it. Um, and one of them is probably a Cannonball Run movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I I'm just going to err in favor of Bruce Willis simply because yeah, you'd kind of, you know, it's not the same thing, even if they, you know, so, yeah. Well, I won't get too ferocious. I've seen The Detective, and yeah, to me, that script went through so many rewrites that it's not the same character, but I get what you're going for, so, I mean, it's there, if you were watch both movies back to back, you'd, you'd be like, what? <laughs> they're, they're nothing. <laughs> they're nothing alike. I mean, they're nothing. You might as well be saying, like, well, Philip Marlowe versus Rambo. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that different. So, I mean, if we're gonna go for John McClane, it's Bruce. Willis. I mean, there's no contest. All right. Now, this next one, I didn't like the movie or the TV series, but Christy Swanson versus Sarah Michelle Gellar as Buffy Summers. I gotta go Christy Swanson. I think she played the character with the right amount of, I'm in on the joke, but I'm playing it straight, whereas Sarah Michelle Gellar totally just played it straight. And I don't think Sarah Michelle, well, first of all, Sarah Michelle Gellar is not a very good actress to begin with, but Boo. man, she was bad <laughs> as Buffy. I, I gotta go Christy Swanson on this. I, I love Christy Swanson. Like, I really do. The, the absolute pinnacle version of the character is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like, the, the depth that the character went through, I, you probably didn't watch, I mean, I watched every single episode the character arcs they had in there the stuff that she went through the i mean it just uh, she really as annoyed as i am with whedon late you know over the past couple years i still that is one of my all-time favorite tv shows and it like she nails the character completely plays it the way that he did intend to make it or at least the way that he says he intended to make it even though the other version he said that was the way he intended to make it but the thing was that could have very well been you know movie speak you know when when you when you're putting out the king of backpedaling he is the king of backpedaling but how many times has there been an actor who will go out and they'll do a movie and they're oh yeah you you need to go you know because they're they don't they're not going to get out there and say that the movie sucks that this isn't what they had intended on you know they want it to to be a hit they don't want to like burn i mean when you get when you do that you get just trank you know you get somebody who gets ostracized from the industry bad mouth 150 million dollar production two days before it comes out even if you hate it it's still just just smile and say it was the greatest thing you ever worked on and then you'll work again hollywood doesn't really like that kind of nonsense because it costs them money of course he's going to go out there and put his foot forward and say that this was you know the movie that he wanted to make blah blah and then years later when he's able to make the end of the tv series and you can see the differences in the character that's one where i have to kind of believe okay you know what he did have a lot more in mind with this character he did a lot more depth and a lot more stuff that you would not be able to do in a single film so i think or that, he just uh, changed his mind and said hey the i you know the movie was this let's expand it into this which is a realistic concept too he could it have is. literally changed his mind in the well, like five years between the two it is possible but uh i don't know i uh regardless 
Sarah Michelle Geller and uh, the TV show. So, uh, and I love, like I said, I love Christy Swanson. She's uh, she's lovely. Her version was definitely it's more campy, whereas the TV show was more serious with a little bit of camp elements. Two very different animals. Uh, the movie, as Cecil said, it's more campy, it's more kind of lighthearted fun, and I love it for that. And the TV show is played a little more seriously. I always felt like the Buffy show had a bit of a Sam Raimi tinge to it, and that maybe because like Xena and Hercules and stuff were on around the same time that was coming out. I always really enjoyed the Buffy show. I followed it for a long time, and I've always really liked the movie, and I feel like they're two different to really pick a winner. So I enjoyed both. Well, since this episode is called Who Wore It Better, let's imagine these character, this character as clothing and say that the difference between Swanson and Geller is the difference between a human being wearing the clothing and uh, a mannequin at the department store wearing the clothing. I'm sorry, Geller cannot act. You can love the character all you want. I don't like her as an actress, never have. I don't buy her. That's it. I don't mean any meanness to people that like it or like her or the show. In fact, I have nothing to comment on the show itself. I don't think she can. I don't think she's a good actress. And I think Kirstie Swanson's performance, it's one movie compared to how many seasons of a show. Of course, we can't compare the depth. It's impossible. You can't do it. An example I like to use is Dumb and Dumber. You look at Jim Carrey and he's being Jim Carrey, just dumber, you know, goofier, weirder. You look at Jeff Daniels, and that's an actor. He is acting dumb, and he looks like his, like there's nothing behind those eyes. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> He's dead, you know. Those are your skis? Yeah, both of them. I mean. Pull over. Pull <laughs> over. No, it's a cardigan, a, but thank you. Thank you, yeah. That's an actor, and that's Christy Swanson. Now, I'm not saying she's the actress of the ages. I'm just saying, to me, that's a performer versus, oh, I got a job. And sorry, that's how I feel. And, uh. Now, we're going to go to an entire franchise here for a moment. So I'm going to rattle off a bunch, and you guys will get to pick. The Terminator franchise. For Sarah Connor, we've got Linda Hamilton, who was good, great in the role, especially in Terminator 2. Then you have Lena Headey, who I thought killed it in the TV show. And then you had Amelia Clark, who was brutally miscast in Genesis. And then you've got like... <laughs> then yeah, you've right. got, and then you've got John Connor. You got Edward Furlong, who I think did a great job. You have Nick Stahl, who looked bored and did not want to be there. You could tell. Then you got Christian Bale in there. Of course, you technically had Michael Edwards as the Wait, adult which John one Connor was, uh, in Terminator Two. Three. Three. three, those three. With, okay, with, yeah. With and, and, and then you got. The, uh... The, I guess the grown-up actor from two, because he doesn't really, doesn't really say anything. And then you got Christian Bale in Terminator Salvation. Then you got Thomas Decker on the TV show. And you have Jason Clark in Genesis. They might as well have just hired Justin Timberlake, because that character was so... You know what? Everything in Genesis, it was like they miscast every character on purpose. It's, it's, it's got, it's gotta be Edward Furlong or Thomas Decker. I thought Thomas Decker really grew into the part on the TV show. But then you also got Kyle Reese. Michael Bean? I don't even think I need to go through the others. Michael Bean, easily. Cause Anthony Yelchin, fine actor. Terrible Reese. And Jai Courtney? Why did he even show up? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let me run through these. Uh, okay. Sarah Connor, absolutely positively. Linda Hamilton. She, she played it so innocent in Terminator 
to come back and play a complete badass in Terminator 2. So good. Lena Headey was was terrific, but I think that uh, she just didn't embody the character quite as well. Like she basically was playing. She was playing. She was playing the, the Terminator version. 2 version. She was playing the Terminator 2 version, so she was just kind of continuing that, which made sense because it was following that timeline. But uh, I think that uh, that that was you know yeah, it, it totally was Linda Hamilton. Um, Amelia Clark, what the hell? Yeah, did Amelia you just Clark- hire a did did you hire a sex doll and put her in costume? Well, I think <laughs> I think Amelia Clark was simply, hey, we're gonna do this movie. What's one of the most popular TV shows on right now? Hire her. And so they threw her in there and like, I, I don't dislike her, but she, yeah, she was horrendously miscast. Michael Bain, yeah, absolutely like, and, and I don't think I, I, I am one of the people that I did, even though Genesis, Genesis, whatever had casting issues, I like didn't hate Jai Courtney and I still really ended up enjoying the film, but I think that had it have been cast a little bit better, have you, have you had two better leads? It would have been a better movie overall, but uh, it, it is what it is. And uh, okay, so uh, let's see. So Michael Bean, John uh, Connor, no. John Connor uh, Ed Furlong, Ed Furlong to all all freaking day. Just just is uh, really really did a terrific job in two. It's kind of a shame because having that be his first movie, like, is really what kind of sent him in his downward spiral. How do how do you star in your first movie as like a 13 year old kid and have it be one of the biggest movies in history? Like, how do you how do you then follow that up? And then he just you follow it up with drugs, a lot of drugs and a lot of spousal abuse. Yeah, weird, yeah. Um, a weird uh, way to young pop career. Oh, wow. his, he was. Remember oh, his album? No, I don't. YouTube. Oh, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to look that up. Beating up Monica Kina anymore? No, or uh, <laughs> putting it in. Uh, that was a 90s thing. That was more from... of a 2000s thing. That was only a couple years ago. That's true. Who is the girl <laughs> so, in okay. Enterprise? Uh, T'Pol. Uh, there were she. she uh, he was he was putting it in her hiney. There. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, why would you tell anyone that? Brought um, to you by Adam and yes, brought to, yeah. Get yourself a free sweat, a sex sling, a sex swing, whatever. Right off the bat, everybody from the original cast is the best. But you know what? I'm going to do some honorable mentions. <laughs> Terminator Three and Salvation and, and Genesis. Not by a long shot do any of these actors come close. Um, even if I did enjoy some of them for, for different reasons and, and whatnot. Lena Hetty, I will give an honorable mention to as uh, Sarah Connor for continuing the T2 aesthetic. She was all right. Anton Yelchin made for a fine young Kyle Reese. I felt like he put in the effort and, and really clearly studied a lot of uh, Michael Bean's mannerisms and, and vocal pitches and whatnot. And I think he did capture the performance, but it still wasn't enough to save that pile of trash of a film. Who else was okay? Uh, I think I think that's really that's well, really probably it. Yet. That's it. Um, everybody else, none of the other John Connors, I felt were uh, stood up nearly the level of gravity that a 13 year old starter actor did. Michael Bean. Who else? Who else is Kyle Reese? Nobody. Fuck that. Um, it's the original cast did it the best. Everybody else that came in did a subpar to extremely shitty cosplay job. All right, well, follow me here for a second. The best uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator 1, Linda Hamilton. But the uh, best John Connor, Terminator 2, 
Linda Hamilton. I think some people <laughs> miss the point of this freaking story. John Connor in the second film is just a child. He's not the savior of the future. He's not supposed to look like the savior of the future. And he Edward doesn't. He looks Fur- like Mark yeah, Simpson. he does. And he's <laughs> Edward Furlong. Yeah, he does. No, he's right. He's yeah, no, I, I, yeah. right. It's Bart Simpson. And that's <laughs> no, what he's man. supposed to look like. He is a kid. He is a punk. He is obnoxious. You almost what? Uh, a dipshit. Him. You, you almost border on hating him. Furlong nails it. Yeah. John Connor is Sarah in the second movie. She's the one who gains the strength. She is the one who has risen above the situation to fight again and does fight again. And you see where John gets it from. And when you look at all the other movies, how can you really even talk about that? Because that theme is gone. It's lost. Only the series kind of touched upon it again. Yeah. I don't think Decker was the right actor play the character of John, but at least they did explore that notion of Sarah being this character. You know, you, you're, you're the mother of the savior of the future of humanity. Okay. And you have to be the pillar for yourself, for this person, and then all of humanity. They, they explored it, at least in the TV series. None of the other movies did. It was mm. gone. It was lost. That notion of having this, this burden put upon you was just thrown away. That's the biggest problem with it. No, I don't care who you put in those roles. They couldn't have survived. The theme was lost. That's Cameron is somebody that ticks me off a lot. But go back in time to that period. And the guy was knocking it out of the park for stories. OK, yeah. he really was. If you look at why well, it was, he was Ripley a great he was character. knocking it not to interrupt. He was knocking it out of the park in using Harlan Ellison's ideas, but he was using them well. Well, okay, I don't disagree with you on that point. I'm talking about characters here, though. In fact, I was just going to say, look at Ripley in Aliens, Mm -hmm. okay? Her motivation, loss of a daughter, this little girl. You see someone who's afraid, who's terrified, and then rises above that to defeat this evil. This is something that's at the core of the Terminator stories. If you look at the first two, the rest of them are completely different. Absolutely. They they are thematically different. Who can you cast that can save it when the story's not there? And that's Mm. it for me. Can I just assume Michael Bean is your Reese and always will be? Without question. There, no (laughs) one's, no one's touched it. Look, look, Terminator Salvation, I think, is slightly better than people say it is because I think they were trying to spin it in a new direction. But it wasn't necessarily a good direction. And again, the story wasn't there. And that's why talking about those films from three on is pointless. It just was never there. I'm going to do a couple of honorable mentions at the end of the show. But the last one I want to go out on tonight is Night of the Living Dead. Ben. Dwayne Jones versus Tony Todd. This one's hard for me because I think they both play the character amazingly. Gotta, as much as I love Tony Todd in the remake, Dwayne Jones has this every man put into a bad situation thing down perfect. Maybe the fact that he wasn't really an actor at that point gave him this sort of every man quality where Tony Todd comes into the movie like a badass in 1990. For Night of the Living Dead, I gotta go Dwayne Jones. For me, I gotta go Tony Todd because I saw them in reverse. And I saw the, the 1990 version first and then saw the original years later. Just uh, Tony Todd always stuck with me. And Tony Todd is so good. And again, and, but not saying that the original actor was bad. The original actor uh, was good. It's just it was a different. Uh, one of the beauties about the remake was that it was one of the ones that was done right. It was yeah. the similar thematic story, but there were date, there were changes, there were differences made. So you could watch the two of them back to back, and you're not going to get the exact same story. So I like. 
liked that. And uh, I liked that I was able to watch the, the remake and then go back and watch the original and get two different versions. And so, uh, but Tony Todd, I've just always really enjoyed him ever since uh, I think the first movie I saw him in was Candyman. Pretty sure that was the first time I saw him. And then ever since then, I've just, uh, I loved the guy. I thought he was excellent. And it's just so imposing and interesting and uh, got that voice that's just amazing. So uh, for me, it, it's just simply... Uh, I don't want to say nostalgia is why, but I think that um, because of the the order that I saw them in does play a lot into my uh, enjoyment of the character. Honestly, the 90s remake is just so freaking good. Like that is it's like the thing and Cronenberg fly level tier remake like it, in my opinion, smashes the shit out of the original. I love the original Night of the Living Dead, but when I marathon those movies, I go 90s night and then original dawn day, whatever. I've always loved the, the remake. I, I feel like it has a perfect, it, it does everything better in the right way. It expands on things perfectly. And Tony Todd as the character of Ben is just marvelous. He's phenomenal. He's, he's incredible in that role. He's one of the all time best, uh, horror protagonists, in my opinion, when it comes to his portrayal of Ben. I love the original, as I said, and unlike Cecil, I did see them in order. I saw the original first and then eventually found out that there was a, you know, 90s remake and decided to check it out because that one was, um, Tom Savini directed that one, didn't he? Yeah. I saw that he, one in the, I saw that one in the theater. I was in high school when that came out. And that was, I, I, I was there opening night in the middle of a rainstorm in fall. <laughs> But I was gonna see this remake, man. Yeah. I got you beat on this one. I saw it at the premiere and Tom was there and my poster is signed. Ooh. Nice. Nice. So I, 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 okay. So Fred, are you gonna make this a tie by agreeing with me with Dwayne Jones or am I the outlier here? Well, uh, this is another interesting. It almost falls a little into my Terminator in a weird sort of way. But I think if we're talking strictly Ben without doing any gimmicks, <laughs> it's gonna be Dwayne Jones for me. But I think. Dwayne give not because it's the original. I think he gives such a natural performance. Like you can see he's not a trained actor, at least not cinematically speaking. Yeah, it's very earnest. Uh, it is. You can see yeah. uh, a genuine blue collar quality to it. Whereas Tony Todd, it's a great it's performance, a performance, but it's an, he's it's an actor's actor. It is. Like, it's a complete different performance. As you, I think you said, it's, it's, I think the difference, well, what I was jokingly saying about Christy Swanson and Sarah Michelle Miller. <laughs> in this case, I think Dwayne actually probably didn't have much training and that was a benefit. Because there's a docu-style to the film, whereas the Savini is definitely a stylized piece of cinema. Mm -hmm. And the second thing, the gimmick I was going to throw in is, once again, Patricia Tallman becomes Ben of that movie. Tony Todd gets pushed aside. Patricia Tallman's character, who died in the original, Barbara, now is stronger. And she goes on to actually even serve them and they're us. Yeah, it's... It's one of those things where they're so different. I, I I agree with the earlier statement. You can watch them back to back and get something different from each film. So it's it's really not a fair comparison. It just isn't. One has this like you turned on your TV and this is happening, whereas the other is let's go to the movies. They're both good. This is one of those cases. They're both good. And I, I don't think we even need to bring up that Patricia Tallman crushes Judith O'Day. Yeah, <laughs> that, they, there's the case where the non-performance didn't help, honestly. But, yeah. But she's fine. She's fine. She's supposed to be, you know, the, the, the bird, you know, caught in the rain and, you know, yeah, she's definitely that. So she you can be boss down there. I'm going to be boss up here. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, Tommy Tolls for the win, though, in that character. So, uh, oh, he's it, Tom Tolls. He's, he's. Do you know how much I cheered in the theater when he got when Barbara shoots him at the end? Yeah, I was like, yes. It's like watch that with back to back Henry. You know, get him twice. A <laughs> bunch of yo-yos. <laughs> But then I want to throw out a couple of honorable mentions, like uh, Supergirl. You got, I mean, I know she appeared on Smallville briefly, Supergirl? but I, I, Supergirl. Yeah. Helen Helen Slater versus Melissa Benoit. You're just because you're I watching got, a TV show now. That's why you put that I actually got to go Melissa, Melissa Benoit. She's got a lot more depth than Slater did. Slater played it so <laughs> Is that how you pronounce her last name? Headlights. Benoit? I've heard it pronounced Benoist and Benoit, but Benoit sounds proper. So no, she's not Benoist gonna, doesn't sound She's not right. going to smother her children and hang herself from a weight machine, is she? <laughs> God, I don't even know. I mean, I haven't seen the Supergirl movie in so long, and I remember it being shit. And <laughs> you remember? I, I, you're I not. You're not remembering it wrong. I haven't really watched the TV show, and it looks like shit. I don't Season know. one I don't is really good, and then you stop. Comparison to they both look like Supergirl. Give them both <laughs> points. Well, and then the last one I want to throw out is nobody compares to Avery Brooks as Hawk from Spencer for Hire or A Man Called Hawk. Balls they had to try and have Sticky Fingers and Ernie Hudson play the Hawk character in the TV movies is just asinine. You cannot replace Avery Brooks. You just can't. He, he may have lost his mind in more recent years, but yeah, he was, he's an ultimate badass. The Avery Brooks thing is alcohol related. He has a little drinky drinky problem. I think his five drunk driving arrests in 10 years points to a drinky drinky problem. Well, did Thanks. you ever watch, did you ever watch the five captains? I have not had a chance to see that yet, but I've it's, heard he's kind of nuts in that. It's really good, but like it's, it's Shatner and he's interviewing the five captains and he's talking like Patrick Stewart and he's getting these really in depth conversations about life and about playing the captain about all kinds of stuff. And he even talks to like Chris Pine and gets like some input onto how he's playing the new character and then he goes to talk to avery brooks he wants nothing to do with talking about star trek all he he sits there and starts avery brooks always hated star trek he, he never wanted to be to be in it he did he he only took the star trek role so he would have enough money to be able to do things like the uncle tom's cabin remake that he directed and stuff like american history x star trek was a job to him and that was it but it's like, but what you, but that's one of the things that always bothers me about some actors. You got to recognize the thing that you are recognized for. I mean, we know him as Hawk, but the average person is going to know him as Captain Cisco. And I think that he did do a good job on the show, but I think that it's kind of asinine to agree to be in a documentary and to be that cocky about it to just like he he was just dodging questions left and right and i mean and that's with the footage that they managed to get i mean i can only imagine the the amount of footage that they weren't able to use of him just playing the piano and singing jazz and just completely side you know just sidestepping every single star trek question it was just i don't know i just it really put a bad taste in my mouth for the guy i was just like you what, know cecil yeah to be fair, if you grew up in the 90s, he was also the voice of IBM. Remember? <laughs> Where's my future? Don't you remember those IBM commercials <laughs> about the future? Now, now, that, did? Yeah, now that you mention it, yeah, but God, very, very vaguely. It is the year 2000, but where are the flying cars? I was promised flying cars. I don't see any flying cars. Why? 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 
because millions of people all over the world can work together on the web 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't need flying cars, but you will need a different kind of software. It's a different kind of world. You need a different kind of software. Without Ernie Hudson's a great actor, but to see him try and play Hawk, it was almost, it was like, it was like Paula Marshall in Hellraiser 3. I felt embarrassed for the actor, you know? Cause like in Hellraiser 3, Paula Marshall is a 30 year old woman who looks 30 playing a 16 year old, and it was embarrassing to watch her in that movie. That's how I felt about Ernie Hudson as Hawk. It, I felt embarrassed for the actor. Well, it would be like, cause you know, I'm, I'm a huge Ernie Hudson fan, so it would be like, cause I dig Carrie Elwes, and it would be like seeing Carrie Elwes as Batman. Okay, it's just completely and utterly wrong uh, on every level, even though it's a good actor. I think we should at least real quick do Dumbledore for the geeks out there. Come on. <sighs> Come on. Two different I actors. I don't watch those movies, but okay. Well, just I, really quick. We had two very good actors and very different portrayals and all in the same series within a lifetime. So, you know, most of these we've done are, you know, almost decades apart in some cases. And this one was in one series as it was going. Harry Potter can eat a dick. We ask you, the the listeners. Who wore it better, and what comparisons did we end up leaving out? Contact the show. But, like, if you want to contact Cecil, you would do it how? You would contact me at uh, goodbadflicks.com, as well as goodbadflicks on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. And Peter can be contacted where? On YouTube, The Cinemasochist, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, Twitter at Zinematica, and on 1201beyond.com, where apparently my shirts are selling like hotcakes. But let's also get some Radiodrome and, and What the Fuck and other other shows, t-shirts and merch to sell also like hotcakes. Yes, hotcakes. Now I want breakfast. But before that, <laughs> Fred, people always want you to be on the show. I keep getting Brig Fred back. When's Fred coming back? Apparently you have fans. God knows why. But where can people contact you? Uh, they can contact me at why the hell did we have to talk about Supergirl on this program? Uh, <laughs> this is going to bug me all night. I'm not letting it go. It'll come up again, I'm sure, in a future episode. No, I'm just kidding around. Uh, <laughs> I'm still over at the Movie Apocalypse Facebook, and I've been talking about this every time I've been on, and we are shooting next month my horror short. It's going through. Nice. We got, I got a cast. Yeah, I got a cast and location, and we are shooting it. So you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night. Try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.